It's not just the one place. <laughs> I have pain here. In my famous ass. It's not that bad, is it? Well, you can hear them, and you can you can see them a little bit. I mean, you know, fortunately, you know, you, you learn to play the ball. But I'm not going to say it was a, a total distraction, but it is a little annoying, maybe. No, I shouldn't have to change for any other circumstances. I like my hair. It's just things flying in the air that you're not supposed to be seeing. It's not that bad, is it? Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 71 of The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. And yet again, a whole slew of tennis tournaments have just concluded. Yeah, like we cannot keep up. There's been about 10 singles titlists mm. since the last time we recording it, recorded an episode. I think I read that February has the most tournaments of the year. Where did you calendar. read that? I don't know. Did you corroborate that? No. So you're just spewing hearsay on the yeah on the... i'm just it could be fake news i'm putting out there <laughs> but there suffice it to say there are a lot of tournaments in february well this past week that just ended had some really interesting ones from my perspective but we're going to start with the week prior which would have been dubai for the woman and uh delray beach marseille and a couple others and rio yes and the hungarian open Mm -hmm. Which I didn't even write down because there's too many. It's new, I think. Mm -hmm. So Wozniacki reached her second consecutive final and unfortunately lost her second consecutive final. This time against Svitolina, who won her biggest title of her career in Dubai. Uh, she also beat Kerber in the semifinals. Kerber had number one in her racket. Again. In Dubai. Again. She made the semifinals, had to win two more matches, and she'd be number one. It won't be the first time that she's in that position this year because... Her and Serena are going to be going at it all year. Right. But you, Kerber seems to to be playing better of late, even though she lost to Svitolina. And Svitolina has also debuted in the top 10 mm -hmm. because of that result. And Wozniacki is slowly rebuilding her ranking as well. She's putting together a pretty good year. She's back up to number 14, which if you recall, before the US Open, she was down in the 70s. Right. And then she made the semifinals, and that was... That was a turnaround for her. Mm -hmm. And Big Sasha seems to be doing a, a good job for her. So, you know, it's just still a trial basis, but who knows? Maybe it'll work out. Going forward with this number one business, the immediacy of the battle for number one between Serena and Kerber over the next couple of weeks, Kerber could take number one in Indian Wells. Serena's defending finals points, mm. whereas Kerber lost in her first match last year, which was a second round. So she only has 10 points to defend in Indian Wells, whereas Serena has 650. So that's a 540-point spread, and there's only a 385-point difference between the two of them as it stands now. Okay. So unless Serena makes a deep run in Indian Wells, she's going to need Kerber to bow out pretty early right? in order to keep number one after that tournament. But then it becomes interesting because if, say, for example, Serena keeps number one, Kerber has semifinal points in Miami, whereas Serena has round of 16 points. And then Kerber has Charleston semifinal points. Nothing to speak of the rest of the spring, really, because she did nothing in the clay premier events. Mm. Lost first round of the French Open, whereas Serena has a lot of points. Rome, French Open. So it's just something to keep an eye on. Right. 
Your boy Joe Willie Sanga had a pretty stellar two weeks. Yeah, he won again. The He won Rotterdam and then he won the title in Marseille the following week in what had to be one of the hottest ATP finals in years. And by hottest, I mean like sexiest. Oh my God. Sanga versus Luca Pui. In Delray Beach, which saw Juan Martin Del Pocho return to the ATP tour, much like he did for the first time last year, he played his first tournament, made the semifinals, ended up losing to Milos Raonic, who then had to issue a walkover in the final to Jack Sock. So Jack Sock won the tournament his second of the year, third of his career, without having to hit a ball in that final. Mm. I mean, it's it's yet another instance where Raonic is showing a little bit of brittleness, right? Mm. Because at this point, you'd have to think if he's able to stay healthy and build from week to week, he'd be able to come up with something special on a consistent basis. But he's just not been able to to stay healthy long enough. No, and now it's been over a year since he's won a title. He's firmly entrenched in the top 10, but without a title. I wonder going forward, you know, a lot of people assume that when the big five retire, that Raonic is one of these next players who are going to step up and possibly win majors. But he's been close before. He's been in a final. He still has quite a long way to go because he's not winning titles, non-major titles right now. And his body continually betrays him throughout, you know, at various points throughout the year. But see, that's the thing. I don't think he's that far, far off. Mm. The issue is just about staying healthy, really. Right. Of everybody else who hasn't won, as far as looking back at at results and their history, he is the closest. And it's not that far off. It's just, is it going to happen? Is his body going to allow him mm-hmm. to do it? But I don't want this to sound unkind, but I do think that for Raonic to win a major, the level of the ATP has to drop because he's just not at the top echelon of players. And to my mind, the level on the ATP tour this year at least has dropped. A bit, yeah. So there's that regression to the mean... And you'd think it's ripe for him to maybe push through. This would be the year where we're seeing a lot of veterans, people who haven't won in a while. Everybody's kind of in the mix now. Mm-hmm. Whereas in, in years past, we've said, well, wow, anybody could win on the WTA tour in, in any given week. That's kind of the situation now on the men's side. Right. Literally any, any given week, somebody else could win. And the other little bit from... Last week is uh, Dominic Team won his eighth career title in Rio de Janeiro on clay, beating uh, Pablo Carreño Busta. And you consider that Team, who is 23, has already won eight titles. And with Sanga's back-to-back wins, he's now only, I say only because I was a bit, a bit taken aback. Mm. And in comparison to Dominic, Sanga's only won 14 titles in his career and he's 31. Yeah, team went through kind of a rocky period over the past, say, six months, but he seems to be kind of getting back into form, despite his loss to Query in Acapulco this week. But, I mean, really, everyone lost to Query. The highlight, though, from that week's worth of winners was Dominic team and all those thirst-worthy pictures that came out of Rio. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I think, okay, I do know what you're talking about, because he's definitely wearing dark-colored underwear just to, like, inflame Twitter and Instagram. I he wasn't going to go that far. Okay, I'm just, like, it would. it's pretty hard to miss. Hmm. And then this week, 
When did he get like so built though? But you're not ready to move on? <laughs> oh, I thought you were talking about what he looked like this week. No. Oh, you have to be more specific. <laughs> he's no longer he's shed the ba- the baby fat. Right. He's a man now. All right. So this week in tennis news, is that what you mean? You want to move yes. on to tennis stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was a pretty strange week in men's tennis in particular. And I will not hear any of this, you know, the WTA is so unpredictable. There's no consistency at the top because look at what happened in Dubai and Acapulco this week. You had the top four, well, the big four all in action for the first time in a while since the Australian Open, really, all Mm -hmm. four of them. They were divided between two tournaments, both at the same level, right? Both 500s. And then you also had Stan in action as well. Mm -hmm. So you had Stan, Federer, and Andy in Dubai. And then you had Novak and Rafa in Acapulco. Right. And Novak was actually a wildcard number one seed. He took a late entry into Acapulco. Mm -hmm. And I, hmm, I do kind of wonder why he chose to play Acapulco. Was it... I mean, I'm not surprised that he wanted to get the match play, but the decision between the two, between Dubai and playing in Mexico. Because he'd played Dubai so many times before, you mean? Or has he played? Yeah, he won won last year. Yeah. So I just wonder why he didn't want to go back to Dubai. Did he just want to get some easy matches under his belt, do you think? It's much closer to Indian Wells. That's true. Yeah, and he was in LA shortly after losing in, in Acapulco. I guess that makes sense. We see it all the time where players don't... Kay was a four-time defending champion in Memphis. He decided to go down to South America right. instead. Sometimes you just want to change up your schedule, I guess. Yeah, or maybe the true. appearance fee just isn't what it was. Oh, that could also be true. Yeah. Novak also <laughs> takes this late wild card into this tournament. And then he draws Del Potra in the second round, mm. which is just all sorts of unfortunate... And Delpo stretches him to three sets, and it was a thoroughly entertaining match. And uh, Novak is able to pull it out in, you know, ways in which he hasn't been able to pull out matches in recent times. Right. And so I know I tweeted at that point that perhaps this will be the match that we look back at at the end of the year to say, well, this is when it all turned around for Novak. Mm -hmm. But then he goes on to eventually lose in the next match to Nick Kyrgios. Yeah. The thing is, with Del Potro, you know, Del Potro won the first set, and then Novak was able to come back and win. And a lot of times for players, when they're able to kind of take revenge on a player who dealt them such a painful loss, and in this case, it was the Olympics first round, which was pretty devastating for Novak losing to Del Potro. A lot of times when they're able to kind of exact revenge, that can mean sort of a turning point in their mentality going forward for a while. It's also one of those narratives that people perpetrate all the time. We we have no way of knowing exactly what is actually true. Right. right. And so in this, in this case, uh, maybe he, maybe he felt great after the match, but unfortunately he ran into Nick Kyrgios serving 25 aces and just kind of blasting him around the court. And that was a straight set win for Nick. And then after that match, he took to Instagram, hit it as his usual kind of jab, (laughs) playful jab. I mean, we might want to sit here and look into it as something that's like, damn, you know, he really Mm. went there or could have been very innocuous. He put a 
a picture of like the little emoji yes. of the Joker. Because you know, Djokovic is the Joker, and then an X beside it, and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just like so petty. He's now beaten each of Rafa, Novak, and Roger in his first meeting with each of them. Which, I mean, as we know, is uh, an impressive stat because only one other person has done it. Leighton Hewitt. Mm -hmm. Another Aussie. And in my mind, Nick's accomplishment may be greater because Leighton probably played them all very early in their careers when he was a lot better than they were. Definitely. Vavrinka loses to Jumhur, and then Federer loses in outrageous fashion to Dunskoy, who is ranked 116, and Federer was up in every which way imaginable right. <laughs> in that match. Yeah, he he had three match points in the second set uh, that he failed to convert. He then went up 5-2 in the third set. Get this, Roger Federer up 5-2 against someone outside of the top 100. And then again, wasn't he up 5-1 in the the tiebreaker? He was. In the deciding tiebreaker up 5-1 and just couldn't make it happen. And To uh, his credit, Dunskoy played out of his mind. Right. But, I mean, those are many leads blown Mm -hmm. by Federer. That was a bit shocking. It was. I mean, Dunskoy, Federer kept charging the net and... Donskoy would come up with just really great passes and passes that like just barely were out of reach, you know, just really well-placed stuff. Um, But it comes off the heels of Roger Federer commenting that people really underestimate his mental strength. Did you hear about this? Yeah, what did he say? They they focus more on his grandiosity? His virtuosity. Virtuosity. I mean, like... This Australian Open title has reawoken this beast. This is peak Federer. That statement is peak Federer. Are you getting like flashes of the reasons that we were not a yes, fan of his definitely. for a long time? Mm-hmm. Like during the peak Federer years? Humblerer was oh my much, God. much better when he, he was yeah. eating those humble pie losses. And he is absent now. <laughs> he's He's gone back into the ground. I think I've moved past my my period of let him have his moment. After winning the Australian right. Open. Because, like, fine, that was cute. You got 18. More power to you. Didn't expect it to happen. Mm-hmm. I really thought he was done winning majors at this point. I mean, yes, I thought it was possible, but I didn't think it would happen, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it yeah. did come as a surprise to me. And so then he went traipsing all over the globe, up high to the Swiss Alps, every which way to parade Norman. Right? Mm-hmm. He was feeling himself. It was like, fine. Yeah, it's like, you did that. Right. You d- you take that trophy around. You did that. But like... But now like... This virtuosity business? Like 2009 Federer is back. Damn. I just... I don't know why you can't be satisfied with people thinking you're like the greatest technician in tennis history. Like, that's not enough. Not only technician, but the most beautiful... Right. You know, you have pretty much everything. that Every superlative that anybody could want in a tennis player, they think you have it. <laughs> you look like a ballet dancer. Right? It's it's just a bit much, Fed. Like, have a seat. And, I mean, there is a little bit of irony about Roger Federer talking about his mental strength when something that you can't take away from his career is some pretty choking losses to Djokovic and Nadal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are a few prime examples that 
uh, whether we like it or not, are part of his career and his uh, his legacy. French Open final losses that he probably should have won. At the start of Dubai, we learned that Andy Murray is back on tour after having suffered from a bout of shingles. Yeah, which is, it's pretty unusual for a younger person to have shingles. And uh, I guess it usually is because there's serious stress or like suppressed immunity. So it's strange to hear that a young person has shingles. People are speculating it's because he screams at himself in his box so much. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's not helping the the stress We also know that James Blake had a very high-profile bout of shingles as well that almost ended his career. Right, but he actually experienced some of the paralysis that comes with shingles. Mm -hmm. I was just surprised that Andy's case seemed to have come and gone so quickly. When I heard that he had shingles and he's saying, oh, but I'm totally over it, I'm fine. I'm like, yeah, okay. I was afraid it was really going to take him out for a little while. But um, apparently he's over it because he just won the title in Dubai. Well, he almost didn't because he was in the thick of it against Philippe Kohlschreiber early in that tournament. Playing, being down a set and then having to play a 2018 38 point second set tie break in which he saves seven match points. (laughs) And one of those match points he saves with a ridiculous inside-out forehand drop shot that just should not have been played in that moment. I mean, if you ever want to see one drop shot to rule the world, it was this one. Look up the highlights. Is that uh, Andy was down 8-9 in the tiebreaker, and in the middle of this rally just comes up with this strange cross-court forehand drop shot that just died the second it hit the ground. It was cra- and it was so, so close to going out. He then goes on to beat Luca Pui, and then Fernando Verdasco in straight sets in the final. And good on Fernando, because he told us at the start of the year that he meant business in 2017. Mm-hmm. And this is his second strong result. He's yet to win a title, but he's he's knocking on the door. His ranking is getting there. He's close to being seated right. at Grand Slams again, which is a big result for him this late in his career. Mm-hmm. And watching him, uh, watching the highlights against Malfi's, you remember that huge forehand, especially the inside-out forehand. It's just giving you flashes of 2009 Australian Open. Like, it's still there. You know, that power off the ground can really be dangerous. And now in terms of the number one issue <laughs> on the men's side, Andy opened up like some 400 more points over Djokovic. Mm-hmm. And we're heading into the stretch of the year where the one stretch of the year where Andy did barely anything last year at Indian Wells and Miami. Whereas Djokovic, as you'll recall, won both of them. Yeah. So this this lead that Andy Morris got could widen mm-hmm. significantly heading into the French Open. And then again, Novak is defending 2,000 points in Paris. Right. So, I mean, it's hard to tell, like, if this result for Novak is, uh, you know, is sort of more of the same. I mean, well, we'll talk about the Kyrgios match, but are we still in the midst of a big-time slump, is my question. He's in the midst of a slump until he starts winning again at this point. Right. But, I mean, also, yes, Mari won Dubai, but he's also so close to losing. I don't think you can look at this result from Andy and say, well, wow, Andy's back. He's playing number one tennis again. Okay. I, I think mean, there's still 
fair question mark surrounding everybody. Yeah. At the top of the men's game. I think, you know, you can look at Andy's record over the past, what, how long has it been? Like seven months. He's won more titles than anyone. He's won more titles than a lot of the top guys combined. And still, from from that run, there are no majors to show for it. He had a golden opportunity at the US Open. Mm-hmm. Didn't get it done. An even more golden opportunity in Australia. And then somehow made a reclamation project out of Misha Zverev. (laughs) That was not a match he should have have lost. Mm -hmm. With Novak already out of the tournament. I know. Talk about the best opportunity he's ever had to win in Australia. I think Andy is probably still getting used to being the number one player. I mean, his performance in Dubai this week was, was great. You know, maybe he... Shouldn't have gotten it that close against Kohlschreiber, but Kohlschreiber was playing an excellent match. Yeah, he's no slouch. And is a really talented player. But I think what'll be interesting going into the spring is seeing if Andy can stand up regularly to top 10 opponents, especially like other top three opponents, let's say. We've seen him have those lackadaisical early round matches. That he's able to somehow win for the most part. Mm. Even when he's winning tournaments, there's usually one result in there that it's like, well, wow, that was way more difficult than it needed to be. Mm -hmm. We'll see. Now in Acapulco, you know, we talked about Kyrgios beating Novak. Did you want to talk about the non-existent press conference? I know you had uh, thoughts or non-thoughts about it. It wasn't a press conference. It was what they call like a, a mixed zone. Okay thing that they do afterward uh where you're essentially it's like a like an nba type thing where they come to you at your locker oh, like room. One, like a press scrum something press- like that so he he comes to this area he's standing up and then the press is right there and they're asking him questions and the the phones and the microphones are in his face and he's asked maybe four questions and I think Ben Rothenberg tweeted that here are all 12 words that Novak Djokovic said in his, his post-match press. <laughs> and it was like, no, he won like that kind of stuff. Mm. And then he's like, I'm done. And he walked off. <laughs> yeah. Which if you're looking at it and you're looking for stuff, you're like, wow, that was really bad. But as I tweeted, sometimes Venus Williams doesn't show up for press conferences. And sometimes Serena Williams and, Novak Djokovic are a bit surly in their press conferences mm-hmm. or uncooperative. And I ain't mad about it. Yeah, I, I would actually agree. I'm not going to take an opportunity to beat up on Novak. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the media responsibilities of top players are immense. And this is one small example where he wasn't really in a great mood. It's It's just like you bombard players who have just lost with questions about why did you lose and what do you think your opponent did well to beat you? And and you can't be surprised when they're really just not that enthused about it. And also the physical setup of the interview, which Frith, who, had, who again has been on the podcast, she was talking about this on Twitter and had a little bit of a back and forth. She said it was a kind of a, an, it's an invasion of space mm. because you're just standing there. People are shoving these things in your face. It's not like you're on a podium sitting down. And there's a separation from you and the press asking you these questions. It's right. very claustrophobic as well. Bottom line is, I it, while it might not look that great, I don't have a problem with it. Yeah. Yeah, you're not getting any outrage from us <laughs> about this. The 
Acapulco news that's of most interest to us was the performance of Rafa. Yeah. Yeah, he Rafa made it all the way to the final, and he faced a player who was on a hot streak. And surprisingly, that player was Sam Query. I think it's been a long time since we can say Query was on a hot streak. Right? <laughs> so Sam beat Goffin, he beat Dominic Team, who was a titleist the previous week. And then, and then, in case you thought those two were flukes, he beat the Djokovic Slayer, Nick Kyrgios. In and, the matchup of Djokovic Slayers, because Query himself is a Djokovic Slayer. Mm-hmm. At last year's Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I think a lot of people saw that match as, wow, Nick just did the business, basically, took out Djokovic, and then just loses in the next match to who? Sam Query, of all people. However, you see him in the final, and the way that he played that final, it's like, well, maybe there wasn't a lot of shame in losing to Query when he was playing like that. Well, I mean, that's what you thought, because you hadn't seen the semifinal. <laughs> right. right. That was a level he was playing for the entire week and even more so in the final Mm. Uh, the serving was just outrageously good and the power from the ground like what can you do yeah that's the thing like it it was not exactly serve bot tennis because when he didn't get first serves in he was still able to blast it from forehand and the backhand side and apparently he's been working quite a bit on his backhand and it really showed. That said, Rafa had a few chances. There was one game in the second set where he had five break points, and Query saved all of them, most of them with big serves, if not aces. But there were also times when Rafa got a look at a second serve and wasn't able to put the ball in play consistently, miss yeah. shots that you wouldn't expect him to miss. And then the the Nadal that we saw in the, the tiebreak was a little bit too passive and inaccurate to take down Query at that at that level. He was, because he really had chances in that tiebreak. Sam, there were two consecutive second serves that Rafa could not get into play, and they weren't super impressive. The, you know, it was disappointing because when I saw him miss those two huge chances, like the hope kind of drained out. In just his third tournament of the year, Nadal has now had a quarterfinal in Brisbane, losing to Raonic, the surprising run to the Australian Open finals, and then again another final. So considering where Rafa has been, this is this is pretty good. The net outlook for Rafa going forward is still positive. Right. He seems happy with the result, and consider that these are three hardcore tournaments as well. So I think the prospect of him playing on clay is exciting. But also in Indian Wells, where you're in a desert, it's hot. Uh, presumably the balls are supposed to bounce higher because it's hot. It could be good conditions for Rafa, and he's won there twice. It all boils down to the draw. In Acapulco, give Rafa the draw that Djokovic had, would he make the final? Mm. We don't know. You know, like Rafa right. had a fairly good draw in Acapulco. So here's to more good draws for Rafa going forward. Most of the top 40 of the WTA were actually not in action this week. Svitolina went to Kuala Lumpur, but uh, issued a walkover, I think, in her first match. Or second, very early right. on. 
And uh, Kiki Mladenovich was playing in Acapulco, made it to the final, and lost to Tsarenko. But for the most part, it was pretty quiet for the women this week. The big noise from the woman came from Ashley Barty. Yeah. So she went to Kuala Lumpur, played in the singles draw, won with her doubles partner Casey Delacqua in the doubles draw, and uh, ended up winning both. What, on did the you, same day. what did you say to me when I said to you we were making the agenda for this episode? Mm. And I said, we're going to, you know, Ash Barty is going to feature pretty prominently in it. Right. And you said. I said, I don't want to be mean, but it was a fairly weak draw in Kuala Lumpur. And what did I say to you? You said, I don't remember. Something rude. Probably something like, go oh, fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> There was some truth to that. It was a a fairly easy draw mm. for a, a titleist, put it that way. Right. But when it's your first title and it's putting you in the top 100 for the first time, she's now ranked number 92 in the new rankings. She'll take it. Oh, yeah. And you can only beat who is in front of you, right? Mm-hmm. Like so she... why were you being shady? I wasn't. I, was not, I wasn't trying to be mean. I was just mentioning... Mm. That all of her opponents, except for the final, Hibino, were outside of the top 100. And this represents a fabulous comeback for Barty. Because she was a she's still a young tennis prodigy. But this is her second goal of being a teenage tennis right. prodigy. Because <laughs> she was a, a Grand Slam doubles finalist three times over at 17. Mm-hmm. At 16 or 17. And lost her motivation and went through some some struggles uh emotionally with uh tennis and decided to say to take some time away from the game eventually found her way to playing some cricket and decided last year to give tennis another go and here she is again ranked higher than she's ever been playing better than she ever has she she bageled she gave she gave out like two or three bagels this week mm. it was impressive power tennis and then playing a lot of tennis, too, because she was doubling up with Delacqua, as you said. There's a lot of, of tennis reps she was getting this week. Word came this morning, Sunday morning, from Kiki Medenovich that herself and Caroline Garcia have broken up as a mm-hmm. doubles pair. And it, according to Kiki, it wasn't exactly mutual. The way she put it was that she was notified by Caroline that Caroline has chosen to end their partnership. You make it sound so salacious. No, but that's how she wrote it. That's not what she said. She Mm. said that Caroline has decided to move on or something like that. Yeah. You made it seem like real shady, which it could be like something is going on there. But I don't think you could necessarily read into that from what she said. Sometimes people decide to just move on. That's true. Maybe it was the translation. But it was just very blunt and emotionless. It did not seem like a happy parting of the ways, the way I saw it. Okay. But you're thinking that because there's some history there. Right. There were those those comments about the, the Fed Cup that Mladenovic made. And she didn't mention anyone by name, but a lot of people assumed she was talking about Caroline Garcia skipping playing Fed Cup of France. So she has since come out because she knew how it was interpreted and say, no, it wasn't about Garcia. It was actually about Dodin. 
<laughs> and I'm thinking like, wow, I wonder how this girl feels being dragged into this. Well, you know that the French take their Fed Cup and Davis Cup very seriously. They do. They Yeah, they really do. And somebody who's seasoned and who's given a lot to playing for their country, it's more understandable that they'd be concerned with maybe focusing on the schedule for their own career for the mm. year. All right. Than somebody who's who's young. Like I can see where Kiki was talking about Dodan because like you're young, as you were saying to me before, the Federation has invested all this money in you, that there's this expectation of reciprocity that you will mm-hmm. represent France at Fed Cup or Davis Cup as much as as you can, make yourself available all the time because you know you're you're beholden to the Federation on some level. Right. And in this particular case, I have no idea how much or whether the French Federation has invested in the players we're talking mm-hmm. about. You know, I don't know seriously how much money they've spent. They they may have invested a lot of money in training them. I'm not sure. So I don't want to say that's the reason. What we do know is that by and large, the players always show up. We see that mm-hmm. with the Italian players, with the French players. Like The men are always there. Right. Every single tie, except for Mofis, who was fired. <laughs> yeah, he was voted off. And France, I mean, France and Davis Cup go back like babies and pacifiers. Oh my god. They had those world-beating teams in the 1920s with the, uh, what were they, the Musketeers, right? With Lacoste and Barotra and all those people. They have won a lot of times. And they have a very storied history. So the French players seem to be very proud of, of that legacy. Enough to to create rifts between friends, apparently. And they're a great allegedly, doubles team. Allegedly. Right. They are a great doubles team, and there will definitely be be a gap there. But you know who is already on the phone to Kiki Mladenovich? Because she said, I do plan to continue to play doubles, and I will let you know as soon as I have a new partner. Mm, you, I know. You know I who's know. already called her. Swiss Miss. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, she she showed up most recently with one half of the Chan sisters, and right. that didn't go too well. <laughs> uh, like, she's she's kind of floating around the place now. Coco didn't work out. She made the quarterfinals with uh, one of the Chan sisters. Mm. She she's not at a point in her career where she can be just flailing around in the wind, not winning titles. No, and like, listen, Martina Hingis is not here to win the doubles title in at Kaohsiung or somewhere. You know, she's here to win majors or nothing at all. And really, it's not often that one of the top doubles players becomes available at a time when you yourself could feasibly leave somebody. Mm-hmm. So this this might be the time for Martina to jump. It's all. It's really all about chemistry. And you timing. Know, they, right. But they could be both great doubles players on their own and just, just not work together. But Kiki's got a more rounded game than Coco. Mm. And she's also got the power to compliment Martina. I think they could right. work well together. We're we're f- quickly approaching the time when a certain blonde former number 1 returns to the WTA tour. Mm. Steffi Graf is not coming back. <laughs> Maria Sharapova is accepting wild cards from everywhere. I mean, They're just being mailed to her doorstep every morning. There's a new <laughs> one. And what people are paying attention to now is whether or not she'll be getting one from the French Open, mm-hmm. which we kind of just assume she would. 
Right. But then we got some cryptic messages from <laughs> the French Federation saying, well, well, the, I'm not sure. The French, the French Federation said, bitch, you thought. <laughs> now, meanwhile, the rest of the tennis world is falling over each other to issue her wild cards. Like, these tournaments want her badly. I mean, I think, like, the Women's World Cup of Soccer is issuing her a wild card. Oh like, God. everybody wants her. And it makes sense from the tournament perspective. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. She is a superstar. She's going to bring money. She's going to bring fans, attention, everything. Anna Marseille, who is a regular listener, she we were I was talking about this on Twitter, and she said, you know, I just don't get why Stuttgart is falling over itself for Maria, like they don't need her because they've got Kerber, who is their home champion. Right, like they have local yeah, players. She's right. defending and they won't have any problem selling out the week, right? And I totally get that. But I also think that even with that, how can you turn down the chance to have all those eyeballs on your tournament mm-hmm. with Maria's first event back? Exactly. Like, uh, think about a Sharapova Kerber final. Mm-hmm. I mean, the sponsors are going to take note if Sharapova yeah. is there because more people are going to watch on TV, maybe not in the US, but in Europe, definitely. It's just the attention that cannot be bought. Yeah. And you don't get that opportunity every year to have that kind of drama as far as promotion and advertising, like positive drama mm-hmm. at your tournament. Right. And this doesn't mean that. I'm okay with it. Personally, I reserve the right to be disgusted at this whole charade. Mm -hmm. But it makes a... Business Let's say, yeah, financial sense. But the thing is, the French Open is going to sell tickets regardless. Yes. You know, the the draw of being one of the four majors is too great. Sharapova cannot bring it down by not being there. And the French Open is an ITF event. Which the ITF, we're told, well, is so concerned with doping in tennis. Like, they are just beside themselves mm. with trying to rid this from the sport. And so when you're having somebody who is now coming back from a doping suspension telling you that I'm going to sue you left, right, and center for dragging mm. my good name through the dirt, when in fact you don't serve 15 months for nothing. Right. Right? Like, she's positioned herself as victim. And so you have this awkward situation now where yes you would like to quote unquote welcome her back to the sport via wildcard but then you should also be concerned about the message that you're sending with respect to your brand and your sport and your ethics mm-hmm. yeah that's in a good terms point. of combating doping in sport and in tennis by having her at your event because this is an itf event mm-hmm. right and, and they're not saying that she can't be at the event no she can qualify yes she would probably need a, a wild card into qualifying as well at this point, right? Yeah, I think it would be too quick to build up that amount of points yeah. or that number of points yeah. before the tournament, right? Uh, but the, you see, what I what it boils down to, and the things that the thing that bothers me most about the situation, it's not the sponsors, it's not the events, it's not the wild cards, it's M- Maria herself. She's the one who's made this situation even worse. With the way she's carried herself right. post-suspension. Like, uh, you take your licks. Even, like, you have the, you have so many opportunities to kind of rebrand yourself. Or, like, reimagine 
yourself in the public's eye without hammering it over people's head that, yes, I'm a victim, I've been hard done. Mm -hmm. I go take a wild card somewhere into qualifying. You're a five-time slam champion. You're Maria Sharapova. You're a former number one. You can beat all these number 200 ranked players. You know, like struggle for a couple weeks, win a couple tournaments, and then start accepting wild cards here and there. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's the the massive PR failure of this whole Sharapova comeback is just astounding to me. And and because of that, I feel like that's made the wild card thing that much more of an issue. Because I don't think anybody is, nobody's thinking at this point, like, well, I... 15 months is not enough. I don't want her back. Like, she should never come back. Like, she's coming back. We have to prepare for her comeback. And I don't think she's doing her part in making this comeback as seamless as it ought to be. Right. I'm glad you mentioned that she had a chance to kind of rebrand herself. Because it actually... I think that the way she plays the game is kind of a metaphor for that. Because on the tennis court, she doesn't have a plan B, right? Like, she's a pretty one-dimensional player. And most of the time, that that one dimension is dominating and it is good enough. Uh, She doesn't change tactics and personality wise, it seems like she has this one mode as well. (laughs) I think she was so intent on not admitting fault. She didn't want to show, you know, show contrition because that would mean that she was guilty, Mm -hmm. but there was, it was just all brashness, all arrogance, the way that she reacted to it. As soon as she got the uh, the reduction from the court of arbitration for sport, it was game on. Exactly. Yeah. There, there was no looking back from that. It was look, the ITF targeted me. I'm innocent. Da 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 da. Like there was none of this trying to get ahead of the story and and explain myself. It was all I have mm. been targeted. When in fact there was enough gray area in this issue for her to play both sides right to say i was grossly negligent mm-hmm. however however it wasn't i wasn't using it on purpose i wasn't trying to dupe the system that's what she could have said because i think oh, we talked about this a lot there were some inconsistencies in her story there was the fact that she removed the drug from her medication list there were some weird things mm. that pointed to her being a little more than negligent so That's enough about that. Tennis Channel, which is owned by Sinclair Media, has bought Tennis.com and by extension, Tennis Magazine. Mm -hmm. It's not for any small sum either. The base price that it was bought for was $8 million, plus an additional $6 million earnout potential based on certain contingencies, which uh, I'm not quite sure what those are. (laughs) If, uh, yeah, I don't, yeah, well. Potentially a $14 million sale right. of Tennis.com. I think this might actually be a good me- uh, good idea because Tennis Channel is there. It exists. A lot of people don't know it's on their cable system. <laughs> and uh, I think this any opportunity for cross-promotion in the small world of tennis is, is a good one. And there was this news release, a press release, on TennisChannel.com, which is what we're looking at right now. And one of the things that was pretty... Uh, I'll give you a, a bit of the few interesting tidbits from it. Apparently, Tennis, doc, tennis Magazine has a 600,000 circulation. And that it's number oh, one in its category. That's bigger than I would have expected. It's in pretty much every magazine aisle in the sports section. Yeah. Right? So, 
I just, I don't know. I feel like I'm, I've never seen anyone buy it. They also tell us that Tennis Magazine's readership falls in the $150,000 per year median per household. What? Yeah. And then also, they're telling us that of the people who have Tennis Channel in their homes, the people who are watching it have $100,000 plus incomes. So what they're trying to say is that... Tennis fans are rich. Tennis fans are rich and that they're um, an advertiser's dream, essentially. Right. It's niche, but then you can sell really expensive shit to them. (laughs) Yes. You can sell them trips to tennis vacations and Mm -hmm. shit like tennis rackets, other luxury items. I don't know if you know this. Don't look at my paper here, because I wrote this after we had made the agenda. Okay. Do you know who is currently outside the top 100 on the WTA tour? Can you be more specific? Somebody that it might excite you who is outside the top 100. Sharapova? Who is, well, she's been, she's no longer <laughs> on the list. I'm right. She's been taken off the rankings. But this person. Oh, I do know. Who? Irani. Yep. Sarah yeah. Irani is ranked 104 now. Because she won Dubai last year. But she's also been injured and which is very unfortunate for her. She was unable to defend in Dubai. Mm. She's played only Brisbane, where she lost her first match. And she played the Australian Open, where she won a round. And she beat Rizzo Zaki. And then she lost in the second round. And then she played two Fed Cup matches in February and lost both of them. One of them to Daniela Hentukova, who uh, barely beats anybody these days. Right. Uh, she actually, speaking of, has just gotten a wild card into the qualifying draw in Indian Wells. Credit to her, I've seen so many people saying, oh my god, she's still playing? Why is she still right. playing? You know, like, she wants to play, let her play. <laughs> yeah, she said that she just really, she still likes the lifestyle and she likes playing, so yeah. that's why she's still here. She's going through qualifying as well. She just made it through qualifying the other week and won a main main draw match. So mm-hmm. who knows, maybe come next year, Daniela will be back in the top 100. We've Met- seen stranger things. Right. Before we leave you, we just wanted to do a small preview of Indian Wells, which qualifying is starting this week. And uh, man, like it's already March. Before you know it, Miami's going to be over and it'll be the clay season. Indian Wells, or as I like to call it, rich white people in the desert, is starting soon. The defending champs, one of them is out. Azarenka is out. Just had the baby. Djokovic is... um, you know, in a weird place. So I think this next month holds a lot of intrigue. This is also the first time in three years that we're entering Indian Wells. Well, the first time in the podcast, in this podcast history, because mm-hmm. this is our third Indian Wells. Right. The first one, we were talking about Serena's return. The second one, we were talking about Venus's return. Our coverage of Indian Wells on this podcast has been squarely through a Williams perspective. Right. And so this is the first time where it's kind of like, okay, they're there. What else is going on? <laughs> you know, like we've, we've kind of come to accept now that the, uh, the, the boycott has happened. It'll still always be a thing. It's mm-hmm. something we'll always be looking at. And it's still the reason why you have, why we have so many misgivings about Indian Wells. That'll never change. Well, it, we just come at it with a, a different perspective this year. Right. It's still a tournament, like you said, that I have misgivings about, that uh, it doesn't excite me as much as a lot of tennis fans. Of course, the Raymond Moore thing happened last year to coincide with Venus's return. 
It's just, it's been a rocky few years. Let's say a rocky 16 years so at Indian Wells. Are you saying we should expect some fresh fucker this year? Well, I mean, if if you do the same thing and expect a different result, well, Tommy that makes Haas you a fool, is right? the tournament director yeah. now. Is that supposed to be a good thing? I don't know. Nor do I. I'm just, when, you know, when shitty things happen in Indian Wells, I'm just not surprised. Let's put it that way. But Raymond Moore is out. He's been sacked or resigned or whatever. Cast aside to the outskirts of the desert. Mm -hmm. To the sunken place. Oh my god. (laughs) We just watched Get Out, which is what you're referring to, right? Which I loved. Jonathan doesn't really like horror movies or like thrillers and stuff like that. It was okay. I can appreciate that it was good. Mm -hmm. It's not my bag. But go, that's fine. Go see it. I'm impressed that you even wanted to see it. So I suggested it. You wanted to see it. I made it happen. Isn't that enough? Do you have yeah. to be loading oh, me yeah. up on the podcast no, as well? I definitely, you would not have seen it if it wasn't like a woke horror movie. Oh my God. <laughs> it was just like a regular movie. There was you know? a lot of, a lot of people talking about it on Twitter and I felt like it was something I should see. Yeah. Agreed. Back to Indian Wells. So I mentioned that Victoria Azarenka is not going to be there this year, obviously. And she won Miami as well. So that is a cool 2,000 points that are just going to disappear from her ranking. Which leaves her a grand total of 31 points. (laughs) However, this is a player who, when she returns, will get plenty of wild cards and will have really deserved them. Those are some loaded words, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's just it's very strange to to look back where we were last year and Azarenka was just stunning totally dominant mm-hmm. in those two tournaments and people were thinking like man this is going to be the battle for number one her and Serena like people love their rivalry they really play great matches against each other and then man it just did not happen let's start with the women who do you think are the big contenders Serena Venus, provided Venus A gets a good draw, B wins a couple matches. Mm-hmm. Those are the two X factors for her in pretty much any tournament now. Right. <laughs> you have to look at Pliskova. She's a, a top contender at any tournament she plays now. I don't. I don't know. I. I suppose you have to say the same about Kerber as well. True, but Pliskova has been better on the year. She's won two titles already. And she's looked damn good doing it. If Kanta is healthy, you have to look at Kanta given her record at on hard courts right. over the last, mm-hmm. what, 15 to 18 months. Mladenovic, she's playing damn good tennis. I had said maybe Garcia was going to be the breakout this year, but it, was, it looks like it's going to be Mladenovic. Right. I mm. think uh, as much as it pains me, we have to be watching Coco, especially playing in Southern California, where she's from. Mm. Uh, those conditions are probably going to suit her very well. She'll have a lot of Trump supporters around her. Sure. She sure as hell will out there in the desert. Yeah. Wozniacki has to be a top contender too. Yeah, I would definitely agree. And then Svitolina. Who else could you really look at out of the players who've been mm-hmm. playing well, if not consistently, but in spurts this year? Right. I mean, we failed to mention Radwanska, who was a semifinalist along with Pliskova last year. 
And Simona Halep, of course. I think it's it's easy to overlook Simona, but she's around. She's injured. She's been injured. Mm-hmm. But is she going to be playing? I don't know. I haven't heard. Hmm. I've been busy. <laughs> <laughs> and the other big news is that Madison is back. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. Like, I, I honestly have really missed Madison. Because Madison is awesome on Twitter as well. She just took some dude down last week. Mm-hmm. Do you remember she yes. she posted this video of her rallying with her hitting partner and then made her way to net and hit a volley? And she's like, guys, can you imagine? I won a point coming to net and hitting a volley. I hit a volley. <laughs> right. And in the video, she hits the volley and then the guy gets to it but clearly hits the ball out. He tries to, like, lob her mm. and it goes out and somebody's like... You didn't win the point. He loved you. Like, duh. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then another person, and she's like, uh, dude, the ball was out. <laughs> you know? Mm. Then some other person was like, oh, woman's tennis. What was it? Oh, he was saying like, oh, wh- you know, why can't women hold serve? Why are there all these breaks of serve? Men's tennis is so much better. And she responded very gracefully. And it just means that she's better than me and most of us. <laughs> Because I would be like, who the fuck asked you? Like, nobody, nobody called your name. She was like, maybe the women are better at returning serve than the men are. <laughs> right. It's like, but nobody asked for your opinion. So. Welcome back, Madison. I'm really happy Madison's back. Unfortunately, uh, Sloan is not. But she'll be bouncing around in that boot. She'll be out soon. Those boots were made for working. <laughs> that's just what she'll do. Now on to the men. Obviously, you know, we're always looking at the big four plus Stan. Mm. When we're talking about contenders, that's that's that. No, but, I see that's my... my no, that I'm my... not saying that's that's it. Okay. But you always have to mention them first. Okay. You know, but looking past that, Grigor Dimitrov is having an incredible year. The person I think who will be the one to watch the next two tournaments is Alexander Zverev. That's the one... Okay. I wouldn't be surprised if he wins one of them. Oh. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, oh, you know, maybe he'll be a finalist at one. He very nearly beat Rafa last year and had that match point. Had he not hit the volley disaster of the millennium. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. That's true. There's, of course, there's Songa, who's just won two titles. Sam Query is probably going to be on a high from winning Acapulco and, and doing so in such a way. Nick Kyrgios, obviously, when Nick is serving like that, hitting his forehand like that, there's really very few people who can deal with it. He's engaged against Djokovic for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Is he going to be engaged against other people? Right. You know, this right, is the right. thing to, to look for. Well, let's hope he plays uh, Stan and Djokovic. <laughs> <laughs> Del Potro, obviously, another person to look for. We're not really thinking very far outside the box here, No, are we? no. And I have team here, obviously. Because really, um, who, who wouldn't be watching Dominic team play tennis? Exactly. Outside of the box, um, there's Verdasco. Mm-hmm. There's Pui, who, I mean, is, you know, ranked, what, around 16, 15. So it's not too far outside of the box. Jack Sock. Jack Sock, who... Seems to be taking his tennis way more seriously right. this year. He has grand designs. He's told the press that he wants to be number one player in the world. And uh, he, I mean, he thinks that he has number one talent. So watch out for him. 
<laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I think if you're going to be playing tennis at a high level, you you might as well want to be number one, right? What do you think of somebody like uh, Nishikori or Federer? Um, well, Nishikori... See, the thing is, you know, we talked about Raonic being kind of the one to step up. Nishikori has a very similar career and, and very similar accomplishments to Raonic. So I kind of see them as, as very similar. The thing with him is, like, he can stun top players... But a lot of the times, it's just to get to the final and lose it's not, to a better it's not player. It's stunning them at this point. He's a quality player. You're right, yeah. It's not an upset anymore mm. if Nishikori beats one of the top guys. Right, but it is surprising if he can beat them to take a title, to take a big title. And Federer, um, I mean, Federer likes the hot conditions. He trains in Dubai. Maybe uh, he's re- recharged his virtuosity. Right. <laughs> as well as his... Uh, what was the other His thing? famous mental strength. Yeah, maybe those will be in peak condition. Mm-hmm. Before we go, you just wanted you wanted to do something talking about things we like and things we don't like. Like one of each. Mm-hmm. Now, I think for me to just end things on a positive note, I'll just give you something that I like. Should I do the negative first so that you can end yeah, truly on a yeah, positive? Yeah, yeah. Bad news first. I really cannot deal with men and their disgusting facial hair <laughs> in professional sports. It's mostly an issue in baseball. You have some basketball players who do it. Thank all the gods of all religions that it doesn't hasn't seemed to have permeated tennis mm-hmm. just yet. But I was watching some highlight clip of some baseball thing the other day, and these guys have... Ju- and they're, like, touching each other's beards oh. and grabbing them and, like bashing each other's chisel it's just oh <laughs> and then of course like hockey see, has the playoff beard uh-huh, that's a famous and you, thing you've seen you see it on the street now i i've accepted that voluminous facial hair is back in vogue right i've right. i realized that these are the times but these athletes take it to a whole nother absurd level <laughs> and please tennis players refrain from ever doing that no like can you imagine seeing dominic team with like a moses beard no and no just... please don't so for th- my thing that i like can i have two okay okay so the first thing is the pepperoni bacon whopper oh you really oh my god it? i had that tonight on your suggestion and let me tell you god is real oh my god because only she could have invented that jeez louise <laughs> the second thing that is, is... so embarrassing <laughs> shut up no it's not <laughs> the second thing is uh netflix's series one day at a time which i was very surprised by because i really thought it was going to be corny like the original mm-hmm. one day at a time and i wasn't i didn't really have high hopes for it but Norman Lear is working on it. Yes. Who is like 99. (laughs) It was just a lot, a lot funnier. And the dramatic bits just stuck a lot harder than I expected. It was just a total surprise. Save for one, one opening segment of the entire series, the entire season where they go off about Che Guevara. Yeah. Oh, oh that was a big miss. There was a really unfortunate comment about Hitler and Jews and it was just really bad. But overall, I really like the show. I appreciate how it's definitely willing to take on like every controversial issue of our time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just a lot. Uh, I mean, it was pretty, you know, it's like a formulaic sitcom, but it was a lot more funnier than I think it had a right to be, you know. <laughs> and you're not even telling them the best part of the show. Well, Rita Moreno, who is 85 years old, 
is just bursting through the TV in this show. Dancing, making jokes, just doing everything so well. It's like if you imagine that Anita from West Side Story grew up in 2017, like this is her now. Just amazing. And it's been renewed for a season two, so we'll see some more of Miss Rita. Yeah, so that's the thing I like. But for now, I think we're going to sign off. Thank you for listening. And uh, please give us a review on iTunes if you haven't already. And uh, find us on Twitter. We are at the Body Serve. I am at Elliot JMR. I'm James. Two L's, two T's. Jonathan at Sportscribe CA. Let us know what you thought about the episode, what your thoughts are on the season so far heading into Indian Wells. Anything we said you agreed and agree with, want clarification on, hit us up. We'll talk about it. Till next time. <laughs>